0: So I may have shared this story before, if I have, just bear with me, but I was heading south from North Dakota, which most folks say if you're from in North Dakota, yeah, you're probably heading south. But I was heading south from North Dakota from a mission trip where I'd gone, and on my way back down the interstate, I found myself in a bit of traffic. And the traffic was majority 18-wheelers, and so I couldn't see to the left or the right of me for a long while in all honesty. I was kind of sandwiched in that middle lane, if you will. And imagine my surprise as I was driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden, as I was trying to get past these 18-wheelers, I saw blue lights in my rear view. And I said, okay. I eased over to the side. The officer said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, no, sir, I really don't. And he said, well, do you know how fast you were going? I said, I do. I was going 75, but wasn't the speed limit 80 in South Dakota? And he said, sir, you're in Iowa. To my response was, when did I get in Iowa. For the longest time, I'd not been able to see the road sign, so I didn't realize that I'd just crossed over into the state line of Iowa, and the speed limit had dropped 10 miles per hour. So I looked at him and said, Well, I understand what the the law says, and I must confess I was speeding, so I'll take my ticket and go. And he said, Okay. And he gave me my ticket, and I went about my way. But as I think about that story, I'm reminded that sometimes we need to understand where we are and what the rules are for where we are. Me and my wife have, to some extent, become travelers, and I was researching the other day just random customs that you may need to know. And now I'm going to say this and I'm going to let you know. I read it on the internet, so that doesn't mean it's true. But I read this, that did you know that in Tibet, in order to greet someone, you stick out your tongue? The very thing that we teach small children not to do to strangers is how you greet people in Tibet. Now you may say, well, that's weird. Why, why would they do that? Well, this tradition all began with monks who would come and stick out their tongues to show that they came in peace and weren't the reincarnation of a cruel 9th century king named Dorma who was known for having a black tongue. And so they would walk in and say, to prove that they came in peace. And needless to say, that that greeting somewhat caught on. But when you hear that understanding, you go, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Kind of like had I known I was in Iowa, I would have known why I was being pulled over. Because knowing the culture and the why behind it is important. Can we agree on that? I was talking with a friend of mine the other day that grew up in the Boston area, and I said, what's the biggest difference? And if you grew up or have traveled to the Boston area and you disagree with this, this is not my opinion, this is his opinion, so please do not email me about it. But he said, as I walk around town and I see people, even if I know them or don't, I smile, I wave, say, hey, how are you? How's your mama and them? These are those southern pleasantries that we've kind of come accustomed to. He said, but in Boston, if you don't know somebody, you just keep walking. There are no smiles. There are no pleasantries. There are no extensions. You just keep walking. I was talking with Frisky Rowland the other day, and she said when she was in the Northeast that she had ordered a dessert, and the waitress brought it out and said, this is the last one that we have. And so then a, a family came in, it was a mother and her young daughter, and the young daughter said, I want that. And that Frisky leaned over and said, I think I ordered the last one, but if your daughter wants this, if you'll just order another dessert, I'll swap gladly with you. And the mother looked at her and goes, where are you from? Because you ain't from around here. And, And it's just that kind of understanding that like when you grow up somewhere, when you start to belong somewhere, you start to understand the ways that things are done in that place. And you don't really question that anymore. Our text this morning is written to a people that are entering into the faith, but that as we hear so often this term, they are strangers in a strange land, not really understanding why people do what they do. And then 1 Peter Chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, it says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's works impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this letter is written to people that have been marginalized by society. And it's a message of of hope and endurance, of encouragement and resilience. And I don't know about y'all, but as I look around our world today, I think we can all use a message of hope and endurance, encouragement, and resilience. Furthermore, it was written to a community that found themselves, and tell me if this sounds familiar, but in a very difficult time and understanding. I'm going to repeat that because y'all just kind of looked at me blank stared. Tell me if this sounds familiar. There are people that find themselves in a difficult time of understanding what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Seeking understanding and guidance. This letter was written to Gentile converts that had bought into the ways that the world was moving and doing. And as we talked about last week, they find themselves wrestling with what does it mean to follow and serve Jesus Christ. Because the ways of Jesus are different than the ways of the world. If you didn't know that, I'm going to repeat it. The ways of Jesus are different than the ways of the world. This is why over and over in the text and in the scriptures you hear Jesus say things like, well, you've heard it said this way, but I proclaim to you this. This is why you hear Jesus say things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But I don't know about y'all. I grew up in a world where my daddy didn't believe in participation trophies. You played to win. And the first was first, and if you weren't first, you weren't first. That was kind of what was embedded in me. And and so this letter is being written to people that are deeply rooted in an understanding of the ways of the world. And if we can just be honest for a minute, when things are deeply rooted, they're hard to remove. If you don't believe me, go try to dig up a pine tree. That's been there for years. And you know what's harder to remove than a pine tree that's been there for years? An understanding and a faith that you grew up with that you've never questioned, that's been rooted deeply in your heart and understanding. And when somebody goes, well, you go, oh, wait a minute. I I think I've shared this story before, but there was this lady that got married, and on their wedding night, she wanted to prepare the best meal for her new husband. And so she said, I'm going to prepare my grandmother's brisket recipe. And so as she did, she cut off the ends of the brisket. She put it in the pan. She did all of the recipe. She cooked it. And as it came out, the husband said, oh, darling, this is the best meal I've ever had, but I've got to ask. Why did you cut off the ends of the brisket? That's the best part. And she said, I don't know. That's how my mama did it. So they called the mama. And mama said, I don't know. That's how your grandmother did it. And so they called the grandmother. And the grandmother said, oh, baby girl. I don't know why you did it. I did it because we didn't have a big enough pan to put the brisket in. But she had bought in that this was just how you do things. I'm reminded of a friend of mine that was serving in a country church, and he said every year when it got hot, everybody would move to the back left corner of the church. Every year. Cold months, they'd they'd sit wherever they wanted to. Hot months, they'd sit in the back left corner. And eventually he said, you know what? I'm just going to ask, what's going on? Why do y'all sit in the back left corner in the hot months? It doesn't make sense to me. And then one of the matriarchs of the church said, Well, preacher, many years ago, we had a window unit for AC. It was back here in this back left corner. So if you wanted to stay cool, this is where you sat. You see, so often, things can kind of become ingrained in us, and we don't even know the why. We don't even question the why. We just do it. And this morning, what our text is pointing us to is this. That some of the ways of the world are strange. I'm seeing some nods. Can we just agree on that? Some of the ways of the world are strange. Here's the good news. The reason they're strange is because we are strangers in a strange land. That's what this text points us to, that this, the world, is not where we are called to reside, but we are called to reside in the kingdom of God. However, it also doesn't let us off the hook because what we hear and what we've prayed already this morning is this, that we usher in the kingdom of God in the here and now. And so, this idea of being strangers in strange lands, or as Stanley Hauerwas would say, who is a world-renowned theologian, he says, we are resident aliens living in this land while being committed to the unfolding kingdom of God. We're here, whether we want to be or not, we're here, but we're committed to the kingdom of God. So what do we do while we're here and we're not there? How do we live out our faith? And our text tells us that we do so by being reverent, focusing on God's unwavering love and presence with us, by being hopeful, knowing that death and suffering that will come is not the end, by being faithful staying true to the way of Christ's love and setting ourselves apart. I love the fact that while First Peter looks at this idea that We're not necessarily called to be a part of this world. We're called to be a part of something else. What he also doesn't do is let us off the hook. He says that you're not to withdraw from this world, but you are to engage in and with it to be the light and the salt, if you want to take Jesus' words. Clinging to truth, shining light in the darkness, showing love, amidst all that is. This text is such a a wonderful and beautiful text because what it points us to is this. and I think sometimes we need to hear it. He jumps off in this whole section by saying this. Hey, nothing you've done nothing your mama's done, nothing you've got in your bank account, nothing you've held on to, none of that is going to save you. You know what saves you? Okay, I'm going to try that again because y'all looked at me like y'all are waiting for me to answer the question. Do you know what saves you? All right, we need to start a Bible study on what saves us, apparently, because what saves us is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing but the blood. And, and I love that this text just starts to unfold this idea of like, so often we get caught up in the idea that we can save ourselves, that we understand all that God is, and so therefore we can do enough. And it says, no, 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 no. For it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were deemed. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And I just love this text because it calls to my mind, it may not call to your mind, but it reminds me of the Passover. Passover. And the reason it reminds me of the Passover is this idea of a lamb without blemish. And part of the Passover was that you sacrificed a lamb without blemish. And then you took the blood, you put it over your doorpost. So that you would be safe and protected. Now I want you to hear this. Because it didn't sink into me until I really started thinking about it. But you start looking at the Exodus. And while, yes, it starts off kind of with this idea of the Passover and the blood over the door frames, here's what I want you to realize. In order for them to go back into the world, what did they have to pass through? The blood of Jesus Christ. They had to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ in order to encounter the world in which they were going to encounter. Which raises a question for me that I want to ask you. What do you do in your day-to-day life before you encounter this world to redeem your soul in order that you may be strengthened by the Holy Spirit? What do you do? Do you just wake up, walk out your door and go, we'll figure it out as we go. Pray nothing, co- nothing crazy comes my way because I'm not prepared. Or do you wake up and spend time in prayer and searching the scriptures? Spend time with Jesus and God. Empower me as I go from this place that I may seek to usher in your kingdom wherever I go. Fill me with your Spirit so much that whenever I encounter people, you overflow in my words and in my deeds that they encounter you as well. One of the saddest excuses, and I may step on toes, and if I do, I'm going to stomp hard. One of the saddest excuses I've ever heard when it comes to time for prayer is this. Preacher, I don't have time. I just don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for quiet time. It sounds good, preacher, but I got work. I got kids. I got grandkids. I got stuff I've got to do. Here's what you're saying whether you mean it or not. That other stuff is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm just going to put it out there. There is nothing more important that we have to do in our lives than spend time with our Lord and Savior to be empowered by His Spirit that as we go forth, we will share His love and grace and mercy in this world. Period. You want to know what empowers or what just gets me excited about being your pastor? Is that that I hope that at one moment or another that light will be turned on and as I see you walking around, you will be sharing God's love with this world that so badly needs to see, hear, and feel His presence. Now I want to go back to Passover. Passover. That reminder of the blood on the door facings. And as they pass through that blood and they entrust, God, we will be protected as we go forth into your world. Y'all know the rest of the Exodus story. Where do they find themselves? In the desert. In the unexpected. But here's the beauty of all of it, is that they are provided a place, and this is going to sound weird to some of y'all, of freedom in the desert, because what do they do in the desert? They understand that we've all been relying on our own understanding, our own abilities. However, when we're out here, guess what we get to rely on? You and you alone, God. The beauty of this text is it's a reminder, it's a callback for all of us to remind us that each and every day is an exodus for us. As we leave our homes, our comfortability, that we leave, we walk through the blood, we're redeemed by Jesus Christ, but we walk into a place that says, God, I can't do this on my own, I need your power. And that should be humbling, because I think so many of us walk around and go, hey, God, I know what you want. I know your desires. I understand what you desire for me to do, and so I'm going to go do it. And then we come home and we go, hey, God, I hope I did good. This is what I did. But the beauty of this reality—that we are called into a strange place as strangers, that we don't understand—but all we can rely on is the power of Jesus Christ—is that in each and every moment, each and every encounter, we stop and we pause and we say, "God, God, direct me." For I know what I would say, I know what I would do, I know what I think is right. But God, a long time ago, I prayed a prayer that said, Not my will, but yours. That I'm not seeking my own kingdom, but yours. So, God, guide and direct me. This is why we take those moments in prayer. This is why we take those moments in searching Scripture. That we find ourselves seeking God's guidance. And that we don't just do it when we wake up at whatever time you wake up and say, okay, I did my prayer time, check that off. But in each and every encounter, because can we just admit for a minute that there are people that you will encounter throughout your day that you will need the love of Jesus Christ to fill your heart? Otherwise, you would not be able to deal with them. I see some of y'all nodding, some of y'all are like, wait a minute, preacher, you can't talk like that. That's just the reality. There are people in our lives that we need God's grace to to deal with. It's a true statement. As a matter of fact, I would argue this. Everyone that we encounter, we need God's grace, love, and mercy to guide and direct us in how we encounter them. So what would it look like? If we were honest and realized the only saving and redeeming factor of our life is Jesus' blood that came for us on the cross of Calvary through his resurrection, that we may have life. And then we led other people to Jesus Christ. I shared this with my folks at Independence this morning. Too often, I think, what happens and the reason that it's hard for us to deal with certain folks when it comes to the idea of faith is this. We forget that we started somewhere. We forget that we started somewhere. And we go, look, I understand it. I get it. I grasp it. Why don't you? Come on, get up here with me. And we forget, hey, guess what? Some folks are still in the starting block because they don't know. And we need to extend grace and love to those people as well. Because there are people out there, and I know that some of us don't believe this, but there are people out there that do not know the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ because for too long they've been told by this world that they are not worthy of it. And sadly, because we look at it and go, look at how far along we are, we look at them and go, why don't you understand this? Come on, get here. And there are people that are still in the starting blocks. I've shared this before and I'll share it again. I have never saved a soul for Jesus Christ in my life. I've led people to Jesus Christ who can. Sometimes I think we get it twisted and we think that that's our job, is to save people's souls. And our job as the church is this, to lead people to Jesus Christ and allow them to engage in that relationship at whatever speed they are comfortable with, but to walk with them as they engage in that relationship. Because some people are in the starting blocks, some people are a little bit further along, but here's the thing, we're all on the journey. And if you think you've hit a finish line, I'm praying for you too. Because the only redeeming factor for any of us is the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So my challenge for us is this. We just admit the ways of this world don't make sense. But it's because we are called to be ushers of the kingdom of God. We're strangers in a strange land. We're called to lead people to the one that can redeem them and save them and to walk with them on the path as they engage in this relationship. Amen? Amen.